This is the Elite Development Podcast, a show with the aim of helping athletes evolve in every element of their careers through real-world advice and experience. I'm your host, Kenny Dussault. I'm a strength and conditioning coach in Calgary, Alberta, with a singular focus on building better athletes. And now, let's get to the episode. Thank you all for tuning in again to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. Today, I have Doug White sitting down with me. Doug is the former pitching coach and director of pitching for the Los Angeles Angels. Prior to that, he was the assistant pitching coach for the Houston Astros while also spending time as their pitching coordinator. Doug's career has spanned 17 years across four different organizations, leading pitching development and managing infrastructure changes along the way. Doug won four championships in his last six years in the minor leagues as a pitching coach, while also being a part of two World Series championship organizations. Most recently, Doug has taken his expertise as a coach and combined it with his passion for personal growth. His understanding and explanation of emotions and the guidance they bring allows each person he works with to harness their individual power to deliberately create their own life. In his free time, you'll find Doug surfing the coast of San Diego, reading and writing in the neighborhood cafes, or meditating at his home. So Doug, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, so just to start us off, like obviously you've had a really interesting career in baseball up to up to this point. Were you a player growing up? Like, what led to uh, this direction for you? No, I mean, I, I, we could probably spend a whole hour just on this uh, this little question right here. But I, I really, when I was a kid, I didn't really even like baseball. I was a big time basketball fan, um, and I moved to a small town from LA to uh, Sedona, Arizona. And it was like the, it was the sport to play because there was n- nothing really else there. So I started playing baseball year round. But by the time I was done with high school, I, I really I didn't want to be around baseball. I had some experiences inside, uh, you know, the high school where it was just like kind of tearing away at me and it, it wasn't something I, I was enjoying anymore. So I stepped away. I didn't even play baseball the first couple years of college. Um, and, and then I did this. Uh, um, uh, basically like self-awareness training and I realized I let some outside things uh like manage the way I was feeling about this sport you know about baseball and so I said man you know what I want to get back into it and my arm was always a strong suit so I just started training I got a pitching coach and I was able to play at some small schools but I, you know, I wasn't very good. I just, I, I worked hard, but I wasn't very good. I, I wasn't, I didn't have that frame of mind that I needed to have consistently to kind of get that momentum so I could get that road, you know, that pathway for myself and get things rolling. But I just kept at it, kept at it. I played a little bit of indie ball um, where I think I ended up getting like 14 innings of experience. Um, and then I got released for the last time uh, out of indie ball. And I was like, man, I, I think it's uh, time for me to do something else because this is not working. I was like, I think I was like 24, 25 at the time. And um, so I, I, I reached out to a friend of mine, a mentor, uh, and said, hey, man, what should I do here? And he says, uh, I think you, if you want to coach, you know, go down to San Diego, see this guy, do this certification. And then I just said, forget it. I'm just going to move to San Diego. I, I just started um, basically just being on top of this, this, this guru, you know, at the time. Uh, and I, I worked a nine to five job during the week and then I'd go hang out at his clinics on the weekend to learn. And six months later I was, I was in the affiliated ball as a coach. 
So like I spent all this time struggling, trying to play, you know, couldn't make it happen. And six months after being released, uh, I got an opportunity to be an affiliated ball as a coach. It was crazy. Yeah, that's pretty uh, pretty wild story, especially starting off with not even really liking baseball, and then the way it's kind of turned into <laughs> your life. It's, it always I always love hearing stories like that, where you know things kind of maybe pushed you out, pushed you away from a certain direction, or pulled you away from a certain direction, and then wow. sort of realized, especially just the way you put it, with uh, you know this self awareness training that kind of let you realize that maybe it wasn't your decision leading you away from the sport, because I think yeah. that's something that we see athletes struggle with all the time. Uh, I think a big part is due to, you know, there's so much access to everything and anything now with social media, with the internet, with all of this stuff that's been around now for quite a while. Uh, If you don't mind me asking, like, what was it that within that training that maybe let you click or helped you click into the fact that uh, you weren't done with baseball? Because I think that's something that a lot of people might be able to benefit from. Sure. Well, I think that the, the gist of it is perspective and it's your, it's your own choice. It's your own decision to have the perspective that you want towards the things that you're doing. So for example, uh, if you're having a negative, negative experience uh, with a coach, which I was having my junior and senior year of high school, I allowed my perspective on the relationship to diminish my love for the game and not really enjoy what I was doing anymore. And so I, I, I didn't want to play. I, I wanted to get as far away from it as I could. But I realized through this self-awareness training that it was my perspective. It was my decision. It was my choice to feel the way that I was feeling. It wasn't a coach. Even, no matter how mean the coach was, how you know, brutal he was in decision-making, whatever I thought at the time, that I still have a choice to feel a certain way about something. You know, I still have a choice to have that perspective that's going to benefit me in the end uh, and not allow somebody else to take control or have power uh, over my, um, my career, my decisions, my future, you know, whatever it may be. And yeah. so that's what I learned from, from that. And then I've just been practicing that for a very long time. It, and it's not an easy deal at first. Of course not. Uh, Do you maybe have like, so if there is someone listening that's stuck in a similar situation with a coach where maybe, or a coach or even just a team, like when, if they're struggling with where they're at and they're maybe finding the love of their game being diminished, do you have any kind of suggestion or any kind of tip that they might be able to use to help shift that perspective or like a step that they can use to get away from that negative situation and maybe renew their love for the game? Sure. Well, the first thing I'd say is whenever, whenever these, the, these athletes are having uh, experiences with their coaches or players and such, you know, we got to understand that we got to give the benefit of the doubt to the coach or give the benefit of the doubt to the teammates because you never really know what's going on in their brain. Like for a coach specifically, they could be thinking that these types of motivational practices are good. And they could be speaking to you in a certain way because they think that's going to motivate you or inspire you to do something. And you're not understanding that because you're taking it personally. You're taking the words that they're speaking personally instead of taking that out of the equation and pulling out the information from those words that you need to allow you to be a better, uh, better player. So it's like, it's not necessarily ignoring the coach. It's like you're, you're kind of ignoring the attitude you know, you're, you're, you're trying to just take the words out, not take it personally, 
try to take those words out and say, okay, how does this sentence allow me to be a better player? Um, and, and not take these things personally. And that, that, I think that's the biggest thing is giving the coach the benefit of doubt because again, it allows you to take back your power where you're not blaming somebody else for your problems because I've, you know, trust me, like it's really interesting because, you know, I've, I've coached nine-year-olds, you know, all the way up to big leaguers who are going to be hall of famers. And I'm telling you right now, the conversations are the same. I don't (laughs) care if you're a nine-year-old or a 40-year-old, the conversations are the same. And so your job as a coach is to try to change that point of view that the player's having, change that perspective, um, get them to see it in another way. And then you just hope that their next experience is elevated just that much so they go, ooh, maybe there's something to that information that he just gave me. And then you gain that trust and off you go. Yeah, well, I think the biggest thing there that uh, stuck out to me was taking back your power because that's a conversation I know I've had thousands of times already in my career. And I'm sure, obviously, as you said, you can relate is, uh, you know, we had a bad game last night because this person did that or because that person. And like, yeah, some of the times it might be true that, you know, the team didn't do well and someone did make a mistake. That might be an accurate statement. But the second you sort of put that blame on somebody else or kind of point the finger somewhere other than yourself, again, you lose the power because you're not looking at, hey, what could I have changed or what could I have done better and maybe change the outcome? You're just completely releasing yourself of any accountability. And I think the second you do that is the second you start losing, right? Because once you're not accountable for it, then there's no ability to improve or no ability to learn learn from it. And there's a fine balance to that too, because you want to be accountable and responsible for sure, but you also don't want to beat yourself up over it because your ability to, to, you know, quickly shift like, okay, cool. Like maybe I did screw that up. Maybe I didn't, um, uh, you know, I didn't uh, have the game I wanted to have, you know, come through in the end, you know, whatever it was, but my ability to, to, to take what I needed to take from that situation that contrasting situation, and then be able to shift now and move forward and move on to what it is you're trying to get to, you know, that's hugely important. So that, that, that's a, one of those things that's, it, that takes time too, and that's a balance. So you have this perspective on how people, are, you know, you're, you're taking in people's information, and you're also having a perspective on how you're taking in your own information and how you feel about yourself. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's the main reason why you hear everybody say these days process oriented, you know, forget about results, stay in the process because most of the process orientation type of thinking will allow you to take away the emotion to where you're not blaming yourself. You're just fine tuning a process. And it's actually more exciting because as you fine tune your process, and then hopefully gain results from that. Because obviously you, you do want to gain results sooner or later. If you're playing at a certain level, you need to have results, right? But if you've gone through this process orientation, this process oriented thinking enough, you fine tune things and you know what's going to make you successful. Those dudes in the big leagues, they have a process. The ones that don't have the process are the ones that don't hang out very long. 
But those big leaguers, those dudes that hang out 5, 10, 15 years, those guys know exactly what they're doing on a daily basis. They know what process is working for them. Well, I absolutely love that you got right into that because that's something, again, that I've always been a huge believer of. And it is obviously a balance. That's something that I know I still struggle with, and I'm sure there are tons of coaches out there that still struggle with as well, is to look at your day-to-day and just focus on a little bit better today than you were yesterday. And it's something that I know I preach, but then I've got to also make sure that I'm internalizing as well because, yeah, there are – you know, we, everybody does want the results, but the way you get the results is through the process. So if you stay focused yeah. on the process, stay focused on, you know, that cliche 1% improvement every day, then all of a sudden those results kind of start taking care of themselves. Yeah. And so, and, and so think of it this way too. Oh, sorry. I didn't well, mean to no, interrupt. Go ahead. I was saying, think, think of it this way too. Think of it as momentum as you're able to take, a negative emotion out of the equation because when you have that negative emotion there over and over and over that takes its own momentum as well and yeah. you know that's that takes over your focus you right but if you can if you can stay in the process and and little by little you keep refining it that's building a momentum of success and by you recognizing how you're feeling through the process see that's the big thing that a lot of people don't talk about if you're aware of how you're emotionally feeling through this process of, or through this uh, process-oriented thinking, you're able to then set a path and a momentum that, like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say you're untouchable because, you know, you're still going to have the contrast, but holy Lord, you're going to be well ahead of a lot of people um, because they're letting the contrast beat them up. And so they're going up and down and up and down and up and down. But if you have this mind frame and then you let that kind of get out ahead of you and take you go, you know, and just let it take you, um, you, you don't let that contrast beat you up because you understand what the contrast is for. You understand that it's serving you in a very, very, very vital way. Yeah. And that's why a lot of athletes say, uh, you know, I want to learn when I, when I'm winning you know, I, I can always learn when you're losing. That's obvious. But what about the winning? Like, what about when things are going well? There's still things to learn there, too. And that's kind of some of that process. Yeah. Well, that's it's funny. That's uh, it reminds me so much of uh, one of the other people that I've interviewed for this show. He's a professional boxer out of Calgary. And uh, the way he talked about that similar idea is compound interest. So every day in the gym, every day oh, at wow. practice every day that you're working towards whatever that goal might be, it's money in the bank. And then yeah. as that money grows, then every time you put more in, it grows even more. And so using the momentum, it's just, it was just a nice compliment to that analogy. So uh, it's interesting to see how different people sort of come up with those ideas. And, you know, we're almost all saying the same thing, but just from your experiences, how it kind of shapes the way that you say it, right? For sure. For sure. And for those kids that, you know, their goal is to maybe play in the major leagues or professionally in whatever their sport might be, um, to start on that process and to start really getting ingrained into that process that we were talking about, do you have any thoughts, anything that they can be doing, you know, right now, as soon as you have your idea set that you want to play professional sport or you want that scholarship or whatever that final outcome might be, do you have any thoughts on what those athletes can be doing, you know, right from day one to kind of get them into that right mindset early so that they're not stuck 
you know, later down the road and not being able to hang out at the top level if they do get there. Sure. Um, so, you know, some of this might not necessarily pertain to, to younger kids, like if you're eight, nine, 10, you know, because if you're in that age, like it should be fun and of you course. should be having a blast. And, and, you know, like, you know, for example, if you're, if you're a young kid and you're trying to be a pitcher, your, your, your focus when you're, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 is throw the ball as hard as you can throw the ball as far as you can. You know what I mean? Like just be athletic and let it rip. But I feel like once you're at a certain uh, point where you know, you, you do have an awareness that you know where you want to go, right? You know where you want to be, like you're saying. One of the best ways I think you can, you can kind of set things up for yourself is on a piece of paper, put yourself in the middle and just around yourself, write small, you know, it may be a sentence or maybe it's just a word. All the things that make up what you're trying to accomplish. So for example, there's a physical to this, there's a mental to this, there's an emotional to this, there's a nutrition to this, there's sleeping habits to this, there's mindset to this, like there's gym to this, you know, what, what, there's strengthening to this, right? Whatever that is, right? It's, I got to throw hard or I got to jump higher, you know, whatever those are, write those things down. And in one way, do you have those things taken care of in your daily process? That'd be the first question you'd ask, right? Another question you'd ask is, are you in a, in a, in a emotional state where you're, you're understanding like, okay, I need these things. Like I want these things. Like these things need to be a part of what I'm doing. Are you bought into the process? And so I, I just feel like understanding all the things that entail of, you know, what you're trying to accomplish you should know those things and you should know your relationship with them and where you are in comparison to where you want to be. Because if you don't know where you are, you know, the old, the old, you know, saying, if you don't know where you are, how you, how you get, how you going to be able to get to where you want to go. Right. And that's very true. And so uh, understanding all the things that have to go into what you're trying to get accomplished would be a very good starting point. Yeah. Well, I think like, that's honestly the, what you were just saying there reminds me so much of why I started this show in the first place, because that's one of the things that I really want to dig into with this show is what it takes behind the scenes. You know, everybody knows if you want to play at the top level of a sport, you got to practice, you got to be skilled. Most people are starting to find out that, you know, you probably need to be strong and fast and well conditioned as well. Um, but people maybe that's sort of where the limits I find start to arise in what people understand about what they need to compete at the highest level is we need to be in good shape. We need to be good at the sport and we need to work hard. And then beyond that, just sort of looking at the way you put that of understanding all the elements and not just understanding them, but actually having them written down and then seeing, okay, where am I at with each of these elements? And then being able to progress from there, I think is a huge hugely important thing for athletes to be doing. I really like that. Yeah. Thank you. And um, so you said that you got into the MLB opportunities uh, or the, I guess, affiliate opportunities pretty soon after you started coaching, like it was almost six months in. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about just sort of how that opportunity arose? Cause I think that's probably something that most people that get into coaching are, uh, are dreaming of and it happened. It seemed to have happened pretty quickly for you. How did that all come about? Well, one of the things that first kicked it off was 
um, I was still, you know, trying to play indie ball. And at the time to, to make ends meet, you know, I was coaching a couple travel teams. And it just so happened that um, there's this 12-year-old travel team. I was living in uh, Ahwatukee, you know, Phoenix, Arizona at the time. And it just so happened that there was a uh, AAA uh, manager. His name was uh, Chris Crone. Um, his son is CJ Crone. He, he's in the big leagues. I don't necessarily remember which team he's with at the current moment. But at that time, he was a 12-year-old kid. And the father, you know, he liked the way I was communicating with the kids and organizing practices and so on and so forth. And he came up to me one day after practice and he said, hey, because he was with the Colorado Rockies at the time. He said, hey, I'm going to put your name in uh, for the GCL pitching coach, which is the lowest level uh, in the United States uh, for affiliated baseball. And I just like couldn't believe it. Like my, my My emotion just went so high. I felt so good that like someone came up to me and first of all recognized that I actually had some ability you know to coach but then he was telling me I I might have an opportunity in affiliated ball which I'd spent a very very long time you know trying to get into as a player so that was the first time where I was like oh my god like maybe this is possible you know and then my pitching coach at the end there was a man named Brent Strom Brent Strom is now the pitching coach with the Houston Astros um, you know, he's won a world series with that team. He's, he's been around I, I, in professional baseball, probably 30, maybe a little bit over 30 years now. And he's well known. Uh, he's, he's like one of those guys who just keeps wanting to learn, keeps wanting to learn. And I mean, he's just really good at what he does. So anyways, um, at that time he was with the Montreal Expos as a coordinator and he says, Doug, I got a spot, you know, for you. Uh, if you want to go through the interview process to be a GCL pitching coach for the Expos. And I had just got done doing a certification in San Diego and he was there at the certification and he saw what I was doing and how I was coaching. And he was like, yeah, I think you could do this, you know? And so they needed a guy. And so I went through the interview process and they ended up hiring me. Uh, and then that was my first professional coaching job but you know I got fired from that job when the season was done and then I went to indie ball I got fired from that job when the season was done and then I spent three years out of professional baseball just doing my own business it was called passion for pitching and I was learning about all the parts that would need to go into making a pitcher better not just sitting on a bucket watching some kid throw and going hey way to go Johnny nice job you I can't be that type of coach I got to really understand what goes on here so I did certifications I went back to school for a little bit like there were some things going on there that I, I knew I want to be better at. and then I got another opportunity with the St. Louis Cardinals um, same process Strami was over there that's what we call him and he says Doug I got an opportunity again you want to come in and and you know try it out and I said let me have the interview uh, and I got the interview. I was interviewed by the time, uh, at that time, his name was Jeff Luno, who was the, is, or was, sorry, the GM with the Astros. Um, and then there it went, you know, once I got back into affiliated ball, I, I, I didn't go back out, you know, until I was up in the big leagues. Um, but it's, it was definitely an interesting process. Yeah, I can imagine sports are a pretty cutthroat business when you when you get into them, right? Like you can you can get opportunities maybe, but uh, in order to keep them, you've got to be pretty damn good at what you do. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things that go into uh, 
the front office's decision-making process. You know, it's not necessarily always cut and dry of what you think it should be. Yeah. Um, but again, that's, you know, it's none of my business and they make their decisions how they make their decisions. Well, and back to controlling what you're able to control, right? Controlling the process over trying to control what somebody else take the power back like that. So was there anything that first conversation when you're coaching this group of, you know, younger kids and, you know, this man comes up to you and puts, puts your name in for a job, uh, for a job as a pitching coach with uh, affiliate ball. Was there anything in particular that you were doing within that practice that made him go, that made it like, did he mention anything that it was like what he liked about what you were doing? Well, he just liked the way I communicated with them. And then my organizational skills inside the practice, you know? So for example, you know, if you're, you're trying to, it's, you know, affiliated or sorry, not affiliated travel ball, you got, you know, you know, a bunch of 12 year old kids in front of you. Uh, and, and a lot of them are playing multiple positions and they're hitting and they're pitching and so on and so forth. So it's just the idea of allowing everybody to get their work in and yeah. being able to, uh, um, you know, have that discipline inside of a practice. But then also some of the things that I was saying to them and, and you know, setting up some of the, the philosophies and ideas behind the work, um, he, he was interested and he, he enjoyed. So he, he thought, you know, I might be able to be a coach in professional baseball. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that's a pretty, uh, pretty cool jump to be making, right? Like a group of 12-year-old kids. <laughs> like, oh, by the way, yeah. like, here's a yeah. job with the pros. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, wait a minute, is that? Are you serious? Is that even possible? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's too funny. That's awesome, though. I mean, clearly you're doing something pretty impressive with that group if they're uh, if you're yeah. the eyes of the pros while you're working with a group of twelve year olds. Sure, sure. Um, and then from there, you mentioned your business passion for pitching and how you sort of broke down and had to learn more about what goes into making a good pitcher. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that experience? You know, what it was you were breaking down, how you kind of came to the conclusions that you did, because clearly it's led to some pretty incredible places back into the professional ranks. So what was it there that you felt you were able to translate into better success in the future jobs and the pros that you were able to land? Well, I, had, I, I was able to take a, a broader lens because it was my business and yeah. whether I was able to assist or guide um, these athletes to get better as a pitcher, that was my only source of income. So if I wasn't any good, I wasn't going to make any money to support myself, you know? And so as I'm, and, and also me personally, like I'm never going to, I just can't be the guy who's not attempting to learn or discover or be better. Now I, you know, I'm not worried about everybody else coaching wise. I'm worried about like, am I doing enough for the people that are choosing to pay me? And that was really important to me. So I, st again, I started learning all the different areas that, that go into being a quality pitcher, the strength and conditioning, some things on nutrition, obviously mechanics, training into how, how I can throw harder, be more accurate, these types of things. Um, and so, I, you know, I did the best I could with that. I, there wasn't, you know, the driveline baseball that I don't know if you're familiar with that name or not in the U.S. Not um, sure. Driveline baseball. It's one of the biggest names now um, in the public realm as far as where guys go to train for baseball. Um, and Eric Cressy has his 
thing over on the East Coast and so on and so forth. But anyways, there's, there's these bigger name uh, academies to go to now to really be able to train and get better and get better quickly. And those things really didn't exist back then. And so, we, you know, it was kind of tough to kind of, okay, how, what information do we need to grab from to really help people out? And so that was basically the starting ground for all that. Yeah, well, I really like that because I think like, yeah, obviously it has been a large emergence of, uh, you know, there are these bigger academies and these facilities that people can now go to train, but, uh, you know, those didn't, know, didn't always exist. And um, one thing that's quite evident sometimes within those larger academies is everybody kind of has their way. And uh, something I know the strength and conditioning industry can often struggle with is, arguments or debates of, you know, it's got to be my way or it's got to be my way. And there can be some construction in there, like some where it's actually a constructive, productive debate. But uh, quite often it can kind of bottle down. It can kind of, you know, come down to, well, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. So I really like what you were saying <laughs> about not really worrying about, you know, what the other people out there were doing, but just simply, again, focusing on the process for yourself as a coach of, am I doing enough for the athletes that are choosing to pay me? Yeah. And cause I think that's such a huge mindset that people can sometimes overlook in the coaching industry of, you know, regardless of what anyone else out there is doing or how they're doing it or what you think of what they're doing, what are you doing? What are yeah. you doing for the athletes that you're working with and how are you helping them get better? And how are you learning from that process yourself too? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so you you were doing this passion for pitching for I think it was three years four years yeah three years three years yeah. before it led and that led back directly into the pros yeah uh, that's when I you know Strami called me up and said hey you know I'm I'm with the Cardinals and I need some some young some young pitching coaches you know in the lower levels uh, do you want to take an interview and then I went from there yeah because yeah. one of the other things that you mentioned to me um, earlier was that you were involved in the process to develop and maintain pitchers um, with the Angels organization, I believe. And I'm assuming there was some of that within the other organizations as well. Can you talk a little bit about like what your day-to-day -day looked like within any of those organizations, like what your job was with the pitchers and how you were able to see the success that you did? Like it was uh, how many championships that you were involved in? Like that's a pretty good career. Like what was sort of your part to play within those organizations? Well, that the the part in that minor leagues there was like, it, it, that was more of like teaching the the um, entrance tools for these young guys who don't really know about affiliated baseball. Because when you're the man in high school or you're the man in college, and you come into professional baseball, and some of these guys, you know, you're, if you're not the first round pick, you're not moving up the ranks necessarily in a year or two and then just getting to the big leagues like you might have to play at every level every for for a year you might have to play at a level multiple times so on and so forth so you're 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 trying to explain to guys how this system works and how you can work the system to benefit you because again if you're focused on what everybody else is doing in the way of well why did that guy get promoted and why did I not why is this guy over here and why am I not? Like you can get lost in the shuffle really quickly because there's no GM coming to the rookie league telling you how great you're doing and we're really proud of you and we can't wait to see you next year in low A ball. Like that's not happening. 
So you really got to do a job for yourself to have that inner strength to know who you are and where you are and where you're trying to head. That's not an easy thing to be doing in professional baseball when you're getting paid $1,000 living in podunk towns, so on and so forth. So that's, that was like the entrance stuff, right? But for me, the, the things really shifted when I was with the Astros because the Astros um, allowed me to be, become a, a coordinator in the organization, which meant basically I was able to dictate philosophies and structure and organization of things, right? So what we did so well with the Astros and the reason why they're in the place that they are right now developmentally is because we created a structure to the practice every single day. My job was to figure out what is the best way that these guys could spend their time and make sure they were getting better. So the front office helped us to get some objective feedback tools. We got what was called at that time TrackMan. Now there's, you know, there's other names of other companies that have come in, but TrackMan was the, the biggest one at the time. And we were able to create, this was in an instructional league one year, and then we just built it from there. But we were able to create a practice structure where the guys could get direct feedback on what they were doing to a baseball. And if the force they were implementing on the baseball, where their fingers were being placed, how the wrist was releasing the baseball, this type of thing, whether it was doing any good for them. So as we went, we, we were able to figure these things out by reading scientific articles. Then I would call up those people that wrote the articles. If I thought it was something of, of, of significance, right, that we knew it was going to be something good, I would simply call up those scientists and say, hey, what do you think about this? This is how I'm interpreting your information, and this is how I want to move forward with it. What do you think? And they'd say, yay or nay, or try this. Have you thought about it this way? So on and so forth. And year by year, we just kept fine-tuning what we already had. We figured out what we needed to add into the structure. And the next thing you know, like you're looking up and, and like we're leading the league in like in all of minor league baseball. We're leading in, in, in strikeouts and least amount of walks. And everybody's winning. I mean, we were loaded with talent, of course, too, but every team was winning and it just happened. You know, it was just one of those things. We just, again, we focused on a process the same way you'd want a player to. Players bought into the process. That's not an easy thing. Got to buy into the process. And then you did your work every day. Yeah. Well, I think that's a huge thing there too, that again, you know, if you're having so much success through all the minor levels, well, it's not, yes, of course, talent is going to play a huge part. Like a lot of the time people look at that and they kind of just look at it and go, oh, okay, well, they must just have a better team. I mean, yeah, that's obviously going to be a huge part. If you don't have talent, you're not going to do well. But just the fact that, you know, that AAA level or that AA level or that MLB level, everyone has talent. So yeah. what is it that you're doing outside of just having talent that's, separating you guys to the fact that all of the minor teams for Houston were doing so well and like leading the league in, you know, the strikeouts or like the least amount of walks, you know, there's got to be something else to that process. So it's interesting to hear how you broke it down, what you guys were actually doing day to day in practice that led to such incredible results. Yes. Um, And it's, it's one of those things where, 
you what you're attempting to do is you're attempting to get the player to understand okay we're going to set up some parameters for you and here's why like these are these are the whys the hows and the whats of you know what we placed in our system but now your job is to experience them and then you tell us what is your feedback about x y and z and why it may or may not be working for you and then what do we need to do to get it to be able to work for you because we know we need to be better at x y and z and so that's what you're trying to do by the time the kid is you know a rookie baller to a big leaguer you want him to have his own experiences to identify be aware realize what the heck is going into his daily work so when he gets to the big leagues he can hit the ground running because there is nobody holding your hand in the big leagues. Well, Things are going to pass you up in a heartbeat if you don't have yeah. your process. Well, I love that just because, again, it wasn't just you guys developed the process and then came to the team and said, hey, this is what we're doing now. You don't like it. Well, tough crap. We're the coaches. Like It was sure. the why that I think is another thing that often gets overlooked because um, I know this was something very early in my career that I struggled with a lot that I've really worked on is – I can look at an athlete and have an idea of what I think they need and I can implement that in a program that has the, that, you know, has them seeing decent results, but if they don't understand it, then the level of buy-in again, isn't going to be there. Right. So the fact that you're constantly telling them why, but then also going that extra mile and asking for feedback on it, because even if they understand what you're trying to do, if they're not liking it or they don't feel it's working for them or whatever else, whatever other issues might be there, if that's not being communicated back to you, then, you know, there's a missing link in the system. And that's when I feel like things probably start to fall apart. Absolutely. We, we, we ask the players to understand the what, the why, and the how, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And then how are we going to go about doing it? If you can answer those three things in everything you do every day on the field of play or inside the, you know, inside the gymnasium or inside the weight room or whatever, then you gotta you can have a focus and an awareness to what you're doing because there has to be some sort of focus awareness presence to what you're doing you have to bring some sort of emotional aspect into what it is that you're doing so you can get the most out of it and if you're doing something blindly you probably don't have much soul into what you're doing you know and that's that's not going to be a recipe for success in in most regards no of course um, I couldn't agree more. I think that's an incredibly important thing. And question for you, what was, was there anything specific that you guys did to make sure that, you know, you weren't just kind of getting surface level answers from players when you were going through that sort of, you know, understand what, understand why and understand how, because I know definitely that's something I've run into quite a lot is, you know, you, you say, Hey, do you understand, you know, you explain a drill and you go, does that make sense? And they go, yeah. And then I'll say, okay, can you like, tell me why we're doing it. And then all of a sudden you get the wide eyes and they have no idea what's, you know, what the actual idea is behind the drill. Is there anything you guys did to make sure that you were really digging deep and you weren't just sort of getting those surface, like yes, coach, no coach answers? For sure. I mean, we, we, we always try to tell the players that we, we weren't going to tell them, you know, the answer we like, why are we doing this? We, we never wanted the answer to be because we're telling you to, or because we say so like, that was on us as coaches. Now, did we have all the answers all the time? No, there were some times it was like, I don't know, 
I think this is the best thing for us right now. But that what we what I was talking about earlier with the scientific process, like just understanding what some of the research says doesn't mean that's the way you have to do it. But being aware of some of the research could cut down that, uh, you know, that guessing process, you know, where you can, you can, you know, get things a little more fine tuned quicker. Um, so that's a big thing. But then we were also getting a lot of feedback. We were understanding with the technology we had inside the organization, we were getting a lot of feedback of what we believed was creating success in the big leagues. And so we were training all minor leaguers in that way. You know, for example, with a certain pitch type, like let's say a fastball, we know this type of elo, this type of spin direction, this type of hop, this type of horizontal vertical movement, like these things are having more success than these things. And so these are the things we're going to work on. And here's how we're going to try to go get them. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, the scientific understanding obviously is a huge part too. Um, and one other thing I want to make sure that we touch on is uh, you were talking about one of the big parts of your role was the entrance of the players into the league. So, you know, these kids who have been the man all through high school, minors, everything else that are now coming in and understanding, hey, it's this is the highest level, so you're going to have to compete more and you're not going to just float through the way you have before. Yeah. Um, was there... Do you have any stories of, uh, you know, maybe a success story with like a kid who struggled a lot with that entrance into the league, but then you were able to kind of turn them around and, you know, fix that mindset or change that with them? Sure. I mean, I don't know necessarily if it was me who did this, but you could clearly see in a minor league system, you can clearly see when the light bulb goes off in a guy's head and the career all of a sudden is, is important to them and they're putting the work in, uh, not the hard work, but the smart work, the, the detailed yeah. work, the focused work, like you could understand they weren't just going through the motions, right? So this kid, his name is Trevor Rosenthal. Uh, he played in the big leagues for many years. I, I, I don't know if he's back in there now, but he was with the Cardinals through their success. Um, uh, he was a young kid. He was, I think he was 20 years old when we drafted him. We drafted him like in the 35th round or something like that. It was late. So he, it wasn't even, he wasn't even supposed to be successful, right? Yeah. But he, he came to me in the affiliate. It was called Johnson City at the time. And again, you could just tell that he was having more fun being a professional athlete than he was understanding this is actually a career and a job and he could make this into a very lucrative future for himself. And so it was just the daily conversations that me and him would have and the direction of his workouts every day. But I think there also what happened, there are some other things that happened in his life. It, I think it was the second year or third year that he was in the organization. The first year it was a joke. The second year was it was getting better and he was having some success. But when he came back, I think it was his third year, when he came back from the off season, you could tell he understood what was at stake and what he was trying to create. And I, I, you know, obviously I would hope that part of it was the conversations that we were having and the way we'd set up our workouts. But I think really part of it too was he got married in that one off season. And I think that also woke him up to like, oh man, like I'm, I'm, I might be supporting a family here one day soon too. I might want to get my act together. And that's also, a, 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 you know, an inspiration. There's many different ways to be inspired, you know, 
And so I think that was kind of a combo thing for him as well. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously a second you have that extra responsibility maybe hit your brain, you sort of go, oh, if if I want to make my living playing baseball, I've kind of got to step it up from what I'm doing right now. But I'm sure, you know, having the years with you and having the years in the organization kind of learning those steps was probably a very good start. And then, you know, this might have just kind of tipped him over the edge of going, okay, maybe what Doug's been telling me the last couple of years is there's something For to sure. that. For sure. And um, uh, is, so is this a struggle that you guys ran into with a lot of players where like they come in kind of, you know, just having fun living the pro athlete lifestyle and maybe not taking it, uh, taking it at the seriously as coaches might like them to. Well, if you think about it, like all the guys that get drafted and come in to start playing, let's, you know, professional baseball, like some of those kids, they don't really want to be there. They just don't know what else they would do with their life. And so it's, it's like, well, I'll just ride this out as long as I can because I don't know what else I'm going to be doing or I don't want to go back to school or I don't want to go get a real job or, you know, there's, there's a lot that go into people making their decisions. And it's not just like we drafted 50 dudes and they all want to be big leaguers, right? You draft 50 guys, maybe five of them truly want to be a big leaguer and understand the type of focus and attention to detail that it takes to do something like that. And then they also, you know, when these guys come from a high school or a college program, some of those programs are a little looser and there's not as much work going on. And when you get into professional baseball, it's every day for, uh, you know, 180 days. And then the off season comes in, you better build up, you better get, you know, recover and build up to be ready for that, you know, so it's, it's a never ending uh, circle, you know? And so I just think it's one of those things where all of a sudden it hits you in the face and you're like, man, I, I don't think this is something I really want to be doing. But the guys that really do, they, that's, that's why they stand out. You know, that's why they, they stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Well, uh, and so if there is, you know, for a kid that's maybe in that position right now where, you know, they're the man in high school or the man in college and they really do want to, make it as a pro and make it to the top. What are some things they can be doing right now? Some, whether it's, you know, around mindset or just around their own training and their own practice that can kind of help them transition a little more easily into the pros and maybe not have that struggle of, you know, having to play the lower levels for a few years or anything like that. Sure. Well, the one thing I'd say is that the, uh, any young athlete needs to understand desire and belief. You need to understand that the desire needs to be like unbelievable. If you don't really have a strong desire, a passion to do something, it's probably not something you're going to want to continue doing or it's going to be very tough to be successful at. So that's the first thing. Desire has to be high. But then on the next thing is, is that ask yourself, do you really believe in yourself to be able to create this desire? Can you really believe in what you, who you are, what you're doing, and what you're trying to accomplish. Because when you sit and you're honest to yourself, if your belief isn't up to snuff with your desire, it's going to be a longer road. It's going to be a tougher deal. But the moment that you buy into yourself, that you believe in that, that you are capable of doing this, things will start flowing into your experience that you never dreamed of. But 
that's the biggest thing is like you got to understand that desire and belief they 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 should be moving together you know the higher desire you got to make sure your belief is not dragging behind that you truly understand that and that is way more of a mental emotional game and that's something you can check into anytime you want to um and so that that you know as far as a takeaway you know for the little amount of time that we have here i'd say that's the biggest thing not the physical work because the physical work is always going to be there. There's always going to be a coach screaming at you, telling you what to do. There's always going to be a strength coach. There's always going to be a coach, right? But if you understand belief and you believe in what you're doing and you have a strong desire, because the desire has to be strong, then you're going to have a very, very good chance of being successful. I like that a lot because I think that's something, again, that, you know, people rely on the, they rely on the physical a lot. They rely on, you know, the hours practicing and the hours training and the hours lifting weights and doing sprints and everything like that, that they maybe get away from that. Well, just look at yourself and really and truly ask yourself, do you believe that, do you believe that you can make this happen? Yeah. I mean, I was the perfect example. I had a hugely strong desire and I didn't believe in it at all. I didn't believe that I could do that. I just kept working and kept working and kept working. And just for me to make it to indie ball was unbelievable as a player, you know, from where I, from what I was doing. Right. But my belief was absolutely suffering. Hence I didn't get to where I wanted to go. And with that, um, if for somebody that's maybe in the situation you were in when you were younger of having the desire and wanting it, but maybe struggling on the belief side, whether that be from, you know, how they were raised or just themselves not being a confident person as a, as a general rule. Is there something you feel like athletes can be doing to build that belief or create that belief? Yeah. Well, one thing they could do is they could search for stories of other people in similar experiences, but were able to make it so that at least they can see if they, if they can't believe it themselves in the moment, they can at least acknowledge that it's possible because others have done it before me. So I know it's possible, even though I don't believe it just yet. That's one thing, right? But the next thing is just little by little, incrementally, like little by little, don't try to make a huge jump from, I don't believe I can make it at all to, oh, I'm going to be a Hall of Famer. Like that <laughs> makes zero sense whatsoever, right? So little by little, like when you're going to bed at night, hey, where am I on this thing? Like, hey, I. I can do this. I can believe in myself. Like literally talking to yourself and making small statements is, is really a, a way to do it. It's, it's what, I, what we call calibration or alignment. And you're just making these small statements and you're checking in with yourself. Do you really believe the statements that you're making while you're making them? And if you emotionally can feel that alignment with the statement you just made, you know that your belief is starting to climb. It's starting to climb. It's starting to climb. So that's, that's another way you could do it. But there is no, it's an art. There is no like, do this and you'll have this. Yeah. It, it's a constant practice. And it's just up to you whether that's something that you want to be a part of or not. Yeah, well, I think the thing that's coming back to me is just what you were talking about earlier of, you know, having the goal in mind and then putting down actually on paper everything around you that needs to be in place to make that goal a reality. So then when you're, you know, finishing up your evening every day, if you don't, if you do struggle with the belief, you're able to look at it and go, okay, 
Where's my training at? Well, maybe my training, you could use a little bit more work. Where's my nutrition at? Oh, my nutrition's doing pretty well. And then as you see more and more of those things start to come into place, I think you can legitimately just look down at the piece of paper and start believing in yourself a little bit more because you can yeah. see that if, you know, these 10 things need to be in place and I've got seven of them pretty well in place. Yeah. Well, there's more work to be done, but Hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't as far away as I thought it was. Yes. And let me add one thing to that too. While you're looking at that same piece of paper, if you look at something and you go, man, I, I just can't do that. And there's the belief is, is, you know, is low on that particular subject. Ask yourself why you're thinking that way. Ask like, what is going on with your thought process that you're choosing to believe you can't create this? Like you can't do this, or maybe it's too hard. Maybe you don't have enough money. Maybe, you know, like what are the beliefs that you're allowing to get in the way? Because if you can start breaking down some of those beliefs, that's, you know, how you can also gain that, that, that confidence in yourself. Well, yeah, I think that's hugely important. It's not just letting your limiting belief take over. You're realizing that you have it, but then again, taking back the power, like you, like we've been saying so far, right? Taking back the power and understanding that, okay, these limited beliefs exist, but why do they exist? And then kind of digging deeper again to make sure that you're not just letting something else take over for you. You're taking control. Exactly. I really like that. And then uh, we've been going for quite a while here, but I also want to talk to you just about what you're doing, what you're doing now. So you're uh, like, you're actually before we have one other thing before I get into that. Uh, so you've also been part of two world series organizations. And uh, yeah. I was curious, like one thing I think about a lot is the culture within a team and you know, like you can create something amazing before you even hit the field. Was there anything different about those teams those years when you guys won the World Series? Was there anything different about the locker room, different about the group that maybe you feel translated into that kind of success? Well, in 2011, it was with the Cardinals. And in 2017, it was with the Astros. But basically, at the big league level, it, it, it was just very obvious that there was a group of people that were committed to what they were trying to accomplish. And they were holding each other accountable and they were good teammates and they were good friends and they got along. And it, you know, it, it was just one of those things where you could see it happening right in front of you. Um, and so I think it's way more about guys just making a decision. You know, the, when you're in the big leagues, you're, you're pretty good. Like, you know, I, I yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sure. There's elite players. I get that. But the, one, the things that make them elite for the most part is the consistency of their play, right? It's not necessarily, the, yes, some it's, oh, I throw 100 miles an hour and hit this. Okay, great. I, we get that. But the guys who have the longevity, they find ways to do things consistently day in and day out. And so when you're a, 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 a professional athlete at the highest level, you're there for a reason. You're good. Um, but it takes a group of men to come together and make a decision that this is what they're going to accomplish. And that's what happened with those teams. That's what they wanted to accomplish. They made the decision and then they acted accordingly to the de decision of, of winning the championship. You know, they didn't just go out and party all night long and show up at the field and, you know, roll the balls and the bats out. And well, let's see if we win today. Yeah. So that type of stuff too. 
Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think that I really like it was just kind of that black and white of they came in and they made the decision. Um, was Do you feel like that was driven by like any specific guys in the room, any coaches that kind of started, like was there anything that kind of started that or was it just sort of as the season went on, you're sort of going, oh, wow, these guys, you know, there's something different this year. Well, I think they like with the Cardinals, I mean, that, that momentum was already laid down because Tony La Russa had been there for years and the players they had, it was – it was, you know, pretty, pretty solid group, you know, and there was a way that they went about things, you know. Um, so that was kind of set into place, the management, staff, and players, right? And then with the Astros, um, once A.J. Hinch came in, uh, they got some better players, but they had a process. They had a system, and it was, it was a continuous reminder daily, uh, uh, on, you know, on the daily of what they wanted to do. But then the locker room, yes, the, the players that were in that locker room, they were speaking about what they were trying to accomplish all the time. And, um, you know, it, no longer were, was it the players there that didn't believe or didn't want to do the work or whatever. They replaced those people uh, with people who could get the job done and wanted to get the job done. And... Yeah, I mean, I think that's a big part of it for sure would be replacing the people who don't fit that culture because <laughs> if you can replace them with people who do fit the culture, it's just going to be that much more cohesive. And yeah. so for any maybe individual player that's on a team that right now is missing that culture that's, you know, maybe a basement team or a team that doesn't really have that, that you know, that group to kind of come in and make those decisions for them, what can they be bringing to their team you know, bring into the locker room every day, bring into practice, bring into games, what can they be doing to maybe try to shift that culture or help build that culture within a team if they're maybe feeling like they don't have that right now? Well, it takes a special individual. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing on that is that that person needs to fully understand how to manage themselves and lead by example. Uh, it's not the one who shouts the loudest, like guys at the professional level, like they don't respect that. It doesn't matter. You, you got to be about it. And so I think that the, the most of your leaders at the big league level, the, you know, the highest level are guys that have earned it. Right. Um, but you're asking obviously the guys that are just starting out. Yeah. Well, at at any level, right? Like even if they're a 15 year old kid, if they feel like their team right now is kind of trash, how they work on trying to shift that. I would, I would suggest for them to keep their focus on themselves and what they want to, how they want to feel, how they want to show up every day. And if you create that, people will notice, they'll look, and they'll ask you questions. And at that point in time, you'll be able to speak about what it is you're doing to create the results that you're creating on the field. And then you'll have buy-in with guys around you like, man, I want a part of that. I want a piece of that. I like this. Um, instead of the bravado and pounding your chest and telling everybody to do it your way, you just led by example and people came up to you naturally because they respected it and it felt good. And that's the way you, you change a culture, in my opinion. One of I really them. like that. Yeah, obviously there's all kinds of different things that you can do, but I really like that, again, just internalizing it and showing up and leading by example because I think – that is where a lot of problems might start to happen, right? Is if you come in and you're pounding your chest and everybody's got to do it like me, 
well, you might get one or two kids that go, oh, okay. And then like, but then the rest of the team's going to kind of go like, screw that guy (laughs) and kind of keep doing what they're doing. Right. But just being that guy who shows up every day and is the example that hopefully everyone else understands they need to follow, I think is a really, uh, really powerful tool for any athlete. Exactly. And so I did want to ask you as well about what you are doing now, because um, you had mentioned uh, in your bio talking about uh, combining the passion for pitching and the passion for personal growth. Can you talk a little bit yeah. more about how you've done that and what you've implemented now? Well, I mean, but I, you know, I was, I was let go from the Angels at the end of the season, right? So it's, it's been a few months and I have two years left on my contract. And so I have a, I have a steady stream of income coming in. And so there's no rush for me to do anything particular right now, right? So what I'm attempting to do is how, how I choose to live my life is all I want to do is I want to feel as good as I can on a daily basis and I want to see what shows up. I want to see like what gets my goat, right? Or what's showing up in my life. What are the conversations I'm having and so on and so forth. And it just so happens that through that, um, a, a few people have asked me to coach them, you know, uh, in regards to like perspective and outlook and, and you know, how to create some more things in their life. You know, I, I don't like to say life coach because like it's, you know, it's a personal thing. Like everyone's living their life separately. And I don't think uh, like I'm not a life coach. I, it's like I'm a perspective coach or an emotional coach, you know, and I just have an understanding of certain things that are a benefit, you know, um, uh, if you choose to accept them, of course. Yeah. So, so right now I'm, I'm like in, I'm, I'm just in that, like, I'm just kind of like waiting, <laughs> waiting in the water kind of thing. And baseball might come back up. I don't know if a team will call me this next year or not. And maybe it'll be a match. Maybe it won't, but I don't want to depend on that either. You know, I got to take care of myself. And so I'm having fun, you know, I'm talking to people and I'm at, like these conversations right here, like on the podcast, like if I could do this every day, for a living, I do this like bar none. That'd be the easiest thing in the world, you know. Um, so it, you know, it's a it's a broad answer, um, but I, I'm just like feeling my way, and uh, um, something's gonna come up here soon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think like you've developed a really good way to look at life through your career coaching, and you know the perspective. Because I think sports are an incredibly good teacher for anybody out there, whether, you know, an athlete plays their whole life growing up and then nothing professional happens for them. There are so many important lessons you can learn from sports, whether it's through coaching or playing that I think, you know, it really creates a unique kind of individual that, you know, then whatever you go on to do next, I think you can have some tremendous success at it. So I'm excited to see what's coming up next for you. Yeah. And, yeah, I appreciate uh, that so much. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to thank you again so much for all the time you've given me today. I really appreciate a lot of these insights and a lot of these stories. If anybody listening is looking to get in touch with you, whether it is about, you know, these coaching services that you're starting to offer now, any questions they might have from our sure. talk today, what would be the best way for them to do that? Right now it would just be uh, my personal email, which is my full name. It's Douglas Bryant White at yahoo.com and brian is spelled b-r-y-a-n okay be the best way and just you know drop a line and say hello and then maybe we can get on the phone yeah that'd be great um i'll make sure to link that into the show notes as well so that anybody looking to will be able to get a hold of you no problem appreciate so Doug, it. thanks so much again for coming on i really appreciate the time and uh looking forward to seeing whatever it is that's coming up next in the pipeline for you 
Thanks for having me, Kenny. I appreciate it, man. Have a good one. All right. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Elite Development Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, I would greatly appreciate if you subscribed and left a review for the show. As well, I would love to hear what your biggest takeaways were from the episode. My contact info is linked below. Send me a message and let me know what you thought. As always, I'm your host, Kenny Dusso. Thank you again and see you next time.